Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Techno... Well, actually, some hole in Minnesota. The Ask Noah Show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said could be done and... Take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624, or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you this hour as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off. I was joking in the chat room just before the show. By the way, if you want to join us in the chat room, uh, jblive.tv, um, or you can join in your IRC client, irc.geekshed.net, pound Jupiter Broadcasting, that... You guys have no idea what it took to get the show to you today. Now, I pride myself in going all in. I, I tell anybody, anytime I'm sitting down with a client to start working with them, I always tell them, I say, you can find somebody smarter than me. You can find somebody more talented than me. You can find somebody more pretty than me. What you won't find is somebody that works harder than me. Because when I go in, I go all in. You can talk to anybody that works with me. They'll tell you the same thing. I don't do anything haphazardly. If I go in, I go all in. And so when I launched this show over a year ago, we went all in. And we do everything 110% every week. And um, last week, it was we spent an ungodly amount of money in new streaming hardware so that our audio stream at asknoahshow.com is the best audio stream of any podcast out there. I mean, that that's the goal, right? And we're very proud of that. And so if you haven't if you haven't checked that out, I encourage you. It has to be asknoahshow.com. It's the only place that we're sending that particular audio feed. Make sure to check that out. We're real proud of it. And uh, I think you're going to find it sounds really awesome. Now, this week, I got thrown for a curveball. If the first thing that somebody would say about me is that I work harder than anybody else they've met, the second thing that they would say is he's never without his laptop. The, the JB crew gives me crap about this, right? Because we'll go out to eat for 15 minutes. We'll run to Burger King. And there's Colonel Linux dragging his laptop along, right? And it's, it's become a joke. Um, because I just like to be next to my computer. It's where my life is on my laptop. I live on my laptop. In fifth grade, while everybody else was saving up for a Super Nintendo, while everybody else was looking forward to an N64, I was asking my parents for a ThinkPad. That's just who I am, and I just like my laptop. So I told you guys that we have a large camera install coming up this week, and as part of that camera install, I had to go pick up uh, Chris DeLuca, who is an expert in IP radios. So he sets these things up uh, for a bunch of different places, particularly in places where IP radios do not belong, particularly in places where getting connectivity from point A to point B is very difficult, and this is what Chris really excels at. So it was a natural choice when we got when we got awarded this contract that we were going to fly him in to do the IP radio portion to build out essentially an ISP in the city of Oslo, Minnesota. So his flight was supposed to get in here at 9 a.m. this morning. So I drove down to Minneapolis to go pick him up. And wouldn't you know it, you can never count on airlines. His flight is delayed. So now it's not going to get it. Well, it wasn't originally going to get here until 7 p.m. Then it got delayed till midnight. Now we think we're back to like 9 p.m. I've lost track. So I'm down in the Twin Cities, unexpectedly, and uh, I look in, as I'm walking into a place where I'm going to go grab some lunch, after I find out he's going to be delayed, I figure I'll take my laptop and get some work done. Look down in my bag, 
And this was like the one time in my entire life where I have forgotten to bring my laptop. Part of it is because my head is in so many different places with this camera install coming up and uh, a couple of other jobs that are going on at Altaspeed. I've been so distracted that I packed my laptop bag, I packed the power cord, I packed all of the accessories I need. Somehow I forgot my actual laptop. Worst yet, I don't actually know where it is. It could be at one of the client sites that I left uh, early that morning, or it could possibly be at a restaurant somewhere. I, I don't really know what happened to it. Because it's not like me to lose track of it. So here I am, laptopless, and then I get the call that his flight is going to be delayed. And because at first I'm like, well, it's inconvenient that I don't have my laptop, so I don't have any way to entertain myself for a couple of hours until he gets here. But, but there's no real risk. I don't really need it. I got a good team. People can fix things if they break. Then I get a call from DeLuca. He says, well, uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to make it. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit late. So I'm, you can picture this in my head. I am trying to step through this entire problem solving thing because I can't, I have all of the equipment I need to do a show. It's in my trunk all the time. I carry it in a Pelican case everywhere I go. So I have the bulk of the equipment I need to do a broadcast, but I'm missing my laptop, which I need to control the phones, which I need to, to, to do the show basically. And so I start thinking, can I do this on my phone? So I've got one phone, I have two phones, I travel with two phones, a personal phone and a work phone. So I've got one phone that I'm using to actually send the audio and do the broadcast back, and I've got that phone doing that, and the other phone I've got set up and I'm trying to control the broadcast system. And it, it's doable, it works, I did a test broadcast at about 6 this morning, and it, it worked, but it didn't work very well. Uh, it's just, it's clumsy to navigate on this touchscreen thing. One of the things I love is solving problems, and I love particularly solving problems in 2018 because technology enables us to do really cool things. We have options today that we didn't have 15 years ago. So at 6.30 in the morning, I jump on the Minneapolis Craigslist, and I look for ThinkPads that are available. And wouldn't you know it, a dude has a ThinkPad, a T, what, let me see what this thing is, a T440. Yeah, T440 he has for sale used for 160 bucks. So I called him up. I said, hey, sorry for waking you up at 630 in the morning, but I need that laptop, but I need it like as soon as possible because I have to do a radio show tonight. And he says, no problem. I can meet you at four o'clock. So I drive from where I'm sitting at, trying to mull this over all the way across the Twin Cities to this coffee shop to meet this guy, pick up the laptop and then go and rent myself a hotel room. So I have a place to do the show from and drive as fast as I can in Four o'clock, stand still on 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 uh, on, on uh, I four four eighty four traffic, stand still traffic, back to this little hotel where we have virtually non-existent internet. I mean, they technically they have Wi-Fi, but I think at the best time in in the past three speed tests that we've done, we've gotten like four megs down, maybe, and maybe two megs up. So we're on like the most critical profile that we have on our broadcast system to try to keep the audio coming through. And hopefully it holds on, but there's no guarantee of that. All of that to bring you this show live. And I, I, I say that not necessarily to complain about it, because actually, like I say, I like solving the problems. I think it's actually kind of fun. But I point that out mostly because I just think it's cool that in 2016, uh, in 2018 rather, there are different ways to solve these problems, prob ways that we would have not had previously. So I just wanted to let you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, 
this T440 for 160 bucks is a great computer. I'm so far I'm digging it. It's got a 1600 by 1400 display and uh does it has a backlit keyboard and um has a 120 gig solid state drive and 14 inch display. It's it's a well-made computer. Keyboard is fantastic on the thing. So if you're looking for a cheap computer, man, I'd give this thing a shot. Uh as always though, uh, y- your calls go to the to the front of the line, the 70 <laughs> That's my mind is my mind is toast today. One eight fifty five four fifty no. It's eight five five four five zero six six two four N California. Hey N, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Oh, hold on, hold on. I have to uh, click this button here, and uh, my phone system seems to not uh, be responding. Give me one second, Ann, while we uh, reboot that thing. Um, but yeah, this is and I mean this this is the issue. This is what I'm fighting with. Is that we just have virtually non-existent internet here. And uh, it's the, the, the thing that I can thank my lucky stars for is that our broadcast system uses a redundant form of RTP stream. So essentially what we do is we send four simultaneous RTP streams back to the uh, studio. And so all that has to happen for you to hear audio is for one of those four streams to make it. Now we've cut that down to two because we simply don't have the bandwidth to send four simultaneous streams, but hopefully that's enough that that keeps us on the air. Uh, the problem is by literally just blowing out the, the available bandwidth to get those uh, necessary streams, it means that my uh, remote control of our call system is uh, well, it's kind of hit or miss. So I'm gonna go back here and I'm gonna see if uh, if I can get back to my calls. So let's try and go. Let's see now if we got it. And uh, are you with me? Ah, yeah, I heard hey. the beat this time. Yeah, perfect. Hey, how are we doing? Uh, yeah, pretty good. Now, I, I, like, like you were talking about, I was one of those people that followed you over from the Linux Action Show, and there's a secret term you used that I haven't been able to figure out. And I've been Googling it, and I come up with nothing. Okay. Um, well, that's funny, too. You know you, you brought your son up, right, when you used... Google as a verb, and he corrects you and goes, you mean DuckDuckGo? Yeah. <laughs> <Anyways>. <laughs> fantastic. That's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> but anyways, um, when I Google droplet, the term you use all the time, I come up with water droplets. I don't come up with computer droplets. And I think it's something I, know, I need because or want, I want it because I use the same private Internet access VPN mm-hmm. that you do. And mm-hmm. as you probably know, certain sites know that it's a VPN and, and don't want you going there with the VPN. Or they, they, they don't know what it is and they, they get a lot of spam and all that stuff from it, and evildoers doing the troll things, and they ban that IP. I was thinking, whatever this droplet is, which I have no really idea what it is, other than you put something on some other server and it changes your IP, you know what I mean? And you've used the term, and I've tried looking it up, and I really can't figure out exactly what it what a droplet is and so what is it how can i get one i want it for, for <laughs> sure yeah you do want one yeah, yes you do uh and and the thing is the truth and is that it's really my fault because calling it a droplet is kind of like calling a facial tissue a kleenex it it's not a kleenex it's a facial <laughs> tissue the kleenex is a brand of facial tissue and so when you refer to it as kleenex it's it, it, the word Kleenex doesn't make any sense. Even if I was from another country, I can, if I translated the term facial tissue, even if I've never seen a facial tissue, I at least can start to gather what one might be. It's a tissue that I put on my face. You know, where and why is a different story, but at least I can I can I can surmise what that term means. Droplet is kind of a weird term. It actually doesn't really translate into. There's no 
technical meaning of it because we don't, like you say, water droplets really don't mean a lot in technology. But that is a brand term. The brand is obviously from a server company called DigitalOcean. And what DigitalOcean does is they provide individual servers for you to rent. Now, these are not physical servers. These are virtual servers. So they have a single physical server that is divided up into many little virtual servers. And for the low, low price of $5 a month, they will rent you a, uh, a virtual server that you can use for whatever you want up to and including running a VPS host. So an example of how you might use a droplet or what the, the, the generic term would be a virtual private server, a server that's yours, it's private to you, but it is virtual, virtual private server or VPS. A way that you might do that is you might rent a VPS from DigitalOcean, which they call a droplet or any VPS provider. And we use a number of them for different reasons. Um, DigitalOcean, we have tend to recommend in the past because they were a sponsor of the network. And uh, frankly, they just do a really good job and have a really good service. And their their interface is really fantastic as compared to some of the other VPSs. But there are a lot of them out there and a lot of them do a good job. Certainly, there are ones that are cheaper than DigitalOcean, which is we actually did a whole episode on the on VPS Roundup. And I'll, I'll have a link for you in the show notes. You can you can review that. We break down exactly what the advantages and disadvantages to each VPS provider are. But what you would do is you would rent a droplet or a VPS and you could install software and set up your own VPN. So when your computer connects to the internet, it would connect out to this VPS and then all your traffic would originate on that VPS. Now, a word of caution, I'm not saying you're going to do anything illegal, but if you were the kind of person that was to do something illegal and thought that by using a VPS, you would mask your traffic, keep in mind that the ISP, instead of reporting to you directly because it's your ISP, the ISP for DigitalOcean or whatever VPS server company that you decide to go with is simply going to report to them that there is suspicious or illegal activity coming from a given IP address and they're going to shut your VPS down. So it's not in, in that regard, it's not as good or it's not a replacement for private Internet access. I, I say that because one of the things that that private Internet access is really, really good at. And it's why we chose to feature them on AskNoahShow.com where you can get a you can you can give us credit for signing up for private Internet access. If you go to AskNoahShow.com and use the link below, the reason that we decided to feature them is because they have a proven track record of keep of keeping users data private. They don't keep logs of any kind. And that is not true of DigitalOcean. That's not true of any VPS provider that I'm aware of. But they, it, it, private internet access does not keep any log for any reason for of any kind. And not only do they claim that they don't have any logs, this has actually gone to court and been proven. They have been taken to court and the federal government has said, look, this IP address has done illegal things and we want to know who did this. And they say, L listen, I would love to tell you that would that would be great. We, I would love to tell you. Unfortunately, we don't know. We don't know who did that. And so uh, we'll, get, we'll be happy to audit our infrastructure. Unfortunately, we delete all logs immediately. We don't we just don't have any for you to audit. And uh, because of that proven track record, that, that's why I personally recommend private Internet access as a VPN or VPN service that I have used long before we started the show and uh, and will continue to use long after. But that is what a droplet is, and, and certainly I suggest that you set one up and play with it because what you'll find is you'll find excuses to play with technology. It's not necessarily something you need. It's just something that's fun to play with. And having a VPN that terminates in a large, with a large, large bandwidth pipe is a really fantastic thing and, and enables you to do a lot of really cool things.
Thank you. So, yeah, thanks for the call. one uh, 855 450 No, it's 855-450-6624. The email, live at com. Kevin calls from Illinois. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, how's it going? Good to talk to you. Hey, pretty good. Yeah, same, sir. How can we help? Well, I got two questions for you. Um, one, um, Zabbix and Unify Wireless. Do you yes. know of any way, um, anybody, any plugins or anything uh, that exists for getting information that you might see on the uh, the Unify dashboard, like you know, you, connected users, um, like channel um, channels information, things like that, that wouldn't necessarily be in um, standard SNMP information. Yeah, I, I that I know that is uh, that is something that they have. Um that a lot of people have have talked about is wanting like an API interface to the the Unify right. system. The the only thing I'm aware of, there is a GitHub project called um, it's like uh, Wi-Fi art. Or, let me see if I can find it here. It's uh, Wi-Fi art or art art on uh, art of Wi-Fi art of Wi-Fi. There's a there's a Unify API browser that, but it's not an official supported thing. Um, I I don't right. know that they have uh, that they. There, there are people that have an API request in, but at the moment, I don't think that's possible. Okay, I'd, I'd also thought maybe uh, you know you can SSH into those things and get quite a bit of information that way, and yes. you know maybe do something with uh, Zavix that way. But I was kind of looking for something that was hopefully uh, you know well on the way. <laughs> Yeah, if you if you use SNMP, you can get basic monitoring functions. Like you say, with SSH, you could right. it, it, because it's BusyBox on the device, so you could absolutely throw an SSH key right. on there. And you're right, you could pull a lot of information about uh, you know system load and, and network uptime and stuff like that. You'd be able to get. But I, I I know what you're talking about when you log into that Unify interface sure. to be able to see all of that information. That'd be great to centralize that into Zabbix. I, I think it's something they should go forward with. Yeah, for sure. Okay, thanks. Um, Did we lose your call, or did I lose my uh, my connection to the studio? I think we're losing Kevin's call because I my uh, my people at the studio are telling me that I'm connected fine. Kevin, give me a call back, would you? One eight fifty five four fifty no eight five five four five zero six six two four. I'd love to chat with you. Um, that the the second thing that you wanted to talk about, uh, I would also like to talk about. Kev, or, uh, James calls from Idaho. Hey, James, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Yeah, um, I'm trying to monitor, uh, a reminder, get the information from a Bluetooth, no, not a laptop, mouse, battery, uh, can, from the GUI, mm-hmm. from the command line, and uh, everybody on the Internet tells you how to get the main battery from your laptop, which would be great if I had a laptop, but I just want the Bluetooth mouse battery. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, the GUI can see it, but how do I get it from the command line? Well, there's uh well there's 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 a couple different ways. So the first thing to understand is how the 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 power reporting system in uh in Linux works. Um there essentially it uses basically the same same reporting system and that's why when you uh that's why when you uh connect a Bluetooth mouse or uh, Bluetooth headphones um a lot of times you will see the uh, you'll see it pop up in the same indicator system that uh that 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 reports your system battery in my case two system batteries because i have two uh batteries on, on my on my on my my go-to thinkpad the um the the answer to your question is there is a uh there is kind of a hack around solution it's it's run by bluetooth d or the bluetooth daemon and um 
if you so the the command it would be slash user slash libexec slash bluetooth slash bluetooth d space and then a capital letter tack e so dash e and i will have that command linked for you in the show notes tonight uh, and you can check that out at podcast.asknoahshow.com and um excuse me sorry about that I'll have the, the exact command linked for you and you, you can use that. I would encourage you probably to keep more of an eye on your Bluetooth battery info just on the uh, on the system, uh, on the, uh, the the regular pop-up system monitor. That's probably a, a better way, I guess, or a, a more convenient way to keep track of it. But if you want to do it from the command line, there might be a reason to do that if you, especially we we're just talking about, you know, interfacing with Zabbix and these kinds of things. If you want to output that data to anything else, obviously a command line or CLI interface is a great way to do that. Again, one 450 if you want to join the conversation, you're welcome to do so. This week, actually really for the past week or so, uh, a story has broke and it has major security implications for us in the IT industry. Amazon was doing a routine security audit of some servers built by a company called Elemental Technologies. And Elemental Technologies buys server components from a well-known server supplier called Supermicro. Now you might be familiar with Supermicros. We talked talked about them at length um, in regards to the Mr. Rackable's one U99 server. We have praised Supermicro. Altaspeed Technologies primarily runs, well not primarily, it, it exclusively runs on on Dell servers and Supermicro servers, and by far, it's like 90% Supermicro, 10% Dell. Because for a lot of the tasks that we do, our Unify controller, our Zabbix server, our, our, our C file instance, all of those things are being run on Supermicro servers because they don't need a lot of horsepower. We just need something to, to get up and running. We want them to be a dedicated box. We call them pizza box servers because they look like a pizza box you throw into a rack. And we've also, we've been a huge proponent of installing these little pizza box servers when you pizza box service for clients because they install in a two post rack. So you don't need a rail kit. You don't need a four post rack. You can put it in a standard telco rack. And as we have gone through and, uh, and, and, and put them everywhere, not just us, but like every IT company ever, DigitalOcean, the vast majority of their servers in their data center, I've seen pictures, they're super micro. And uh, with that, as well as government facilities, the Navy warships, all of these places are using Supermicro servers, many of which are built by a company called Elemental Technologies. And uh, can we find out what that, uh, what that sound is that's coming into to our uh, audio system and, uh, and get rid of it, please? Thank you. Um, so... What has happened with these elemental servers is that they go through a routine security audit. Essentially, companies, particularly when the government does something, they want to make sure that the system is only doing what it's supposed to be doing and that there is nobody trying to infiltrate the system at the hardware level. And so they send these servers, they send these motherboards out for a routine security audit. And um, in one of those routine security audits, what they found was that there's a major problem. The one of the manufacturing subcontractors attempted to install a chip or I shouldn't say attempted because they actually did it. It's smaller than the head of a pencil. And what this tip does is enables a the Chinese government to remotely access the network 
of any network that this server is plugged into, which is huge. And companies all over the world have been affected by this. At great detriment, I might add. Apple Incorporated is probably the largest company that was affected by this. And they were they were so upset by by this that they actually severed all ties. Now, the Bloomberg article that we reference says that they discovered this a couple of years ago, and the following year they terminated their agreement with uh, installing any sort of supermicro boards, and they were going to put these out in a bunch of their data centers. They decided not to. They cite for unrelated reasons. I read, I read between the lines and say, every major data center in the world was using this particular brand of motherboard. All of a sudden, the story comes out where the Chinese government is trying to infiltrate or the subcontractors on behalf of these, you know, place they're trying to infiltrate. All of a sudden that story comes out and conveniently they find another reason to uh to jump ship. I'm not I'm not quite buying that. But regardless of why they decided to sever ties, they lost Apple as a company, they lost Amazon as a company. They lost the US government. A lot of the intelligence services were using these super microservers. And the thing about this story that scares the heck out of me is a lot of people call me a paranoid person. I tell people about my AirGap laptop. I have a laptop that is stored in a Pelican case inside of a safe in a nondescript place that is not my house. And the most sensitive data that I have is on this machine. There is no Bluetooth card in it. There is no Wi-Fi card in it. And I have unsoldered and ripped out the network, wired network controller. There is absolutely no way to get connectivity on this device. And that's paranoid to a lot of people. He said, what do you need with that? Who's going to come? Who's going to come after you? Well, guess what, guys? This week, I found out that three of the servers that sit in my own house have direct. The Chinese government has direct access to my network. Now, I'm not paranoid enough or I'm not, you know, tinfoil hat enough to say that the Chinese government, you know, is spying on my network. There's nothing of value to the Chinese government on my network. But the point is they have access to it because, or at least presumably they could have access to it because I have a lot of super micro systems that are on my network. My own company, Altspeed Technologies, has a bunch of super micro servers that are in production. And that is scary to me because the reality is it's paranoia until it's not. It's paranoia until reality kicks in. It's paranoia until it's realized. And that's what happened in the last week. The paranoia, the security concerns were realized. This actually happened. And at Altispeed Technology, I, I don't I can't tell you what to, what you should do if you have a super micro server on on your network. Is every super micro board affected? No. Do you have a place that you can send it to get your board audited to see if this little chip exists on your board? I don't know. Is it even worth the cost to do that? I have no idea. I do want to point out, I did some digging to see exactly what it would take to try to identify this chip because we were going to try to put together a little video guide or something where you could say, like, look at your board. And if you see this little chip, this is what it looks like, or this is where it's located. Or A lot of us are pretty technically inclined. I can read an electrical schematic. But as I dug into it, it turns out this is actually super difficult to identify. It turns out that you have to have an in-depth understanding 
of how these boards were not only manufactured, but how these boards were designed. And a lot of those things are trade secrets. A lot of those things are specific to Supermicro. And so you have to work with some of the engineers there to be able to develop a protocol to identifying if your board is affected by this device or not. And that to me is terrifying. So we have started to spec out Asus boards to replace our Supermicro boards. Because at least from a company perspective, even if it's not a valid concern, even if our boards aren't affected, uh, from a brand perspective, we need to be taking an offensive st stance on these kinds of things. I just feel like as a company who goes forward and, and advocates for privacy, and we sell C-File instances specifically because we don't give out the private key to your encrypted data to everybody that works for our company. If we're going to take on that kind of message, then we have a responsibility to our customers when we find out that there is a potential security flaw affected by hardware that we can't patch in software. I feel like we have a responsibility to our customers to take action to secure that system. And the only thing I can think to do is to replace it with a board that does not at the moment have any known security vulnerabilities. So it's a huge, huge story. And um, one of the things that we are looking at doing, I'd be interested in your feedback. If you go to podcast.asknoahshow.com or even just asknoahshow.com, either click on the contact link or click on the email link, I'd be interested in getting your feedback on this. We are, we are toying with the idea of releasing a small two-minute news segment every day, a daily news segment. Now, it wouldn't be released as like a traditional podcast. It would only go to smart-enabled devices. Primarily, we're targeting the uh, Amazon lady in the tube is really what we're looking at. And the idea behind this is if you want long form news content, you've got the, the land guys. They do a fantastic job. We could never compete with them or replace them. And on the other hand, we have uh, this show where we break things down in depth. And obviously, we're not trying to replace that or compete with ourselves. But what I do think we, we need, what I do think we could benefit from is... If you wake up in the morning while you're getting ready, while you're brushing your teeth or while you're getting your kids ready for school, you could spend two minutes and just listen to the the headlines, the tip-top news headlines. And this was one of the first stories that we released just as we didn't really release it, but we put it in into the, the feed just so that we could generate the artwork and all of those other things. And so I had a chance to review this story a couple of different times. It's absolutely fantastic. If you want to dig into it more, we'll have more links for you in the show notes. It's a little bit dry to dig into the technical details, so we're not going to have that. We're not going to have that here. Now, I want to go to a special caller. Mike is joining us. Um, not sure where Mike lives, but he joins us live. Hey, Mike, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Oh, you know what? Hold on, Mike. You know what? We, uh, I, I, I know what happened. Um, can we, uh, can we re-enable our phone system? I think they, they did that to get rid of that beeping thing. Uh, Mike, do we have you? I'm here. There we go. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. Hey, I, I know that uh, I know that you got a couple things going on tonight, so I don't want to keep you too long, but I just wanted to give you a call and let you know that you are the winner of our, our telegram.asknobashow.com $160 gift card. Oh, you're kidding me. No, yeah, we uh, we awesome. did the drawing. Yeah, we did we did the drawing and the code is available at GitHub uh, or I think we've actually moved it to GitLab. We'll have a link to the exact code that we use to do the anonymous drawing. It's tried right into the the Telegram group. But if you're one of the if you're one of the members, then you were entered to win. If, as long as you existed in the group, and Mike, you did. And so I just wanted to call and congratulate you. Do you have any ideas of something Linuxy you might buy off of Amazon.com? I have actually I've been a, kind of tinkering with a lot of different things. I've been 
become very intimate with uh, uh, VirtualBox and playing with a lot of di- different distros. Actually, today I was looking at uh, FreeNAS, and I've also been thinking kind of about um, maybe getting a, a Raspberry Pi. This might help me go on with that project. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, they got a lot of SSDs and a lot of Western Digital uh, Reds available on Amazon. So, Mike, I'll put you back on hold. If you got time, you can hang tight. Um, uh, I'll, I'll get Sarah to get your particulars, and then uh, and we'll get that gift card sent out to you. If you don't have time, because I know you're in the middle of a couple other things tonight, just feel free to hang up, and we'll give you a call. Uh, we'll give you a call with some contact information, and. Uh, and then, uh, and then we can we can get a hold of you. That's fine. Again, one eight fifty five four fifty. No, it's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. So, the other thing that broke this week is, and and this is kind of my luck. I spend the you know a good ten minutes on the program last week talking about how great Unify is. Isn't Ubiquity great? Isn't this a great company? These are the guys that know how to do it right. These are the guys that really respect your privacy and it's cloud without being cloud. I give I give them this huge, huge brag up. I'm bragging on Unify how great these products are, and we spend, we're doing you know it's like ten thousand dollars worth of equipment we're installing this week for this car dealership. All Ubiquity, even the switches, even though I don't particularly care for them. And of course, the very following week, this story breaks. We'll have it linked for you in the show notes. But the story breaks about Unify. And what the story is, is I told you last week, and last week at the time I said it, it was true. Unify allows you to run their camera system in one of two ways. The first way is like any enterprise camera system, you can buy their DVR. And it just comes as an appliance. You plug it in, you turn it on, you plug a network cable in, you visit an IP address, and you set the thing up with a web config. The second way that you can run their DVR software is you can add a PPA to a, Debi- or to a Debian system, and you can install the DVR software. Now, it turns out if you buy the appliance device, all it is is a little two terabyte drive that's physically in there with a Debian install. So there's nothing special about just a little micro atom PC processor. There's nothing, there's nothing special about their appliance. And so guys like me really, really like this idea. We like this idea because it meant that Unify was incredibly scalable. It meant that we could buy an appliance where, where a customer said, like government contracts, for example, they want an appliance because Well, as previously mentioned, they want to be able to audit this stuff. And so they want to know that they're getting the same device every single time. Large corporations, same thing, because they want to deploy, you know, if they want to deploy 50 of them, they want to be able to swap one thing out for the other, one power supply out for the other, so on and so forth. So they like all of the exact same device. And so that's one way to do it. But when we're doing insanely large camera installs and two terabytes isn't enough to cut it, we can go buy a commodity Dell server, which we've done, and in- install the thing with, you know, 15 terabytes of storage, which we've done, and then install Debian on it, add the PPA, and we have an Id- a functionally identical device to their appliance. And if I'm being honest with you, this is what made Ubiquity the company it is today. 
because it's not like there aren't other alternatives on the market. And this ubiquity people, and I know you're listening. I know you're listening because I saw the forum posts where the people on ubiquity's forum are tell, saying, you got to listen to Ask Noah's show because he's probably going to talk about this. You're darn right I'm going to talk about it. I have I have supported Ubiquity since day one for one reason and one reason only, because you guys supported the self-installers, because you guys supported the non-cloud model. There is, and I know you know who I'm talking about, there is a major, I'll just say it, Cisco America is a cloud-based uh, uh, access point system, and it's very, very good. Anybody in the industry that's using uh, Cisco Merakai likes it. It's a great system. Works very well. The downside is it's a subscription model. You have to pay Cisco every single year to use the devices that you already paid for. And people like me get really, really peeved off about that, that I would buy thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment and it turns into paperweights if I don't pay your yearly ransom. I don't like that. But it's not like you don't have any competition unify with the non-subscription model because we got ruckus who makes a really great product as well. The thing that you guys did right and have done right since day one and why you have become the de facto standard in wireless technology, and that, that goes for access points, that goes for WISPs, and by golly, if it wasn't up until a week ago, really moving forward in the security world, in the camera world. You guys were the de facto standard because you didn't do this cloud crap. Because you didn't do this, you have to buy from us. You supported the self-install guys, and you let us craft a solution based around what worked best for our environment, not what works best for your business model. I walked around, and Chris is my witness. Chris Fisher, owner, host and owner of Jupiter Broadcasting, when I went out to visit him just a couple of weeks ago, every place we went to, I'd look up and go, yeah, that's an analog camera. I could replace that with the Unify. That's a camera. I could replace that with you. I mean, that this was literally the next business model I was looking forward to was Unify made us so successful in the managed IT infrastructure world with access points. The next logical step as the camera system matured was to start installing these. And I finally got to a point where I was comfortable, even though it was a closed infrastructure, even though... You guys send that encrypted RTP stream from the camera back to the back to the DVR. There's absolutely no reason why you couldn't have a third-party plug-in, even if you had to charge for it, that we couldn't use third-party RTMP cam camera feeds to pull into your, what I consider to be a fairly fantastic central uh, NVR unit. And I tolerated the fact that it was... It was it was it was it was non-brand agnostic, I guess, if that's a term that you had to buy Unify products completely in a closed ecosystem, because at the end of the day, I understood that I got a quality product. And at the end of the day, I could still use my own hardware. I just had to use your so run your software on it. And I was OK with that to a point. You don't offer pan tilt zoom cameras, So it's not like you guys have the most amazing camera system on the market. It was just the camera system on the market that was enterprise quality work to the same standards as the Bosch's and the Sony's and stuff like that, but you cater to the self-install people. You cater to the people that said, I need a solution that scales. Now, half of you are, are going, would you get to the point, would you tell us what Unify did already to get you so upset? This week, they announced that they are going to go to a, they're going to they're gonna release a new NVR system, essentially. And this NVR system is going to be, is going to replace two things. It's going to replace the access point controller, hardware-based access point controller, which was previously known as the cloud key. And it's going to replace 
the DVR system, which was known as the NVR. And the idea is that you're going to replace it with this one single box called a Cloud Key Generation 2, or the Cloud Key Gen 2 Plus. The brilliant developers at Ubiquity went through the system and said, here are what we consider to be all of the pitfalls and what we think we need to fix to make this system ready for enterprise. And I'm not saying it's a perfect system. I'm not saying there was no room for improvement. So I'm glad you got you guys started out on the right foot. But then they got to a point where they said, and I quote, and I have the article here. <clears throat> Our current focus for the unified for unified protect, which unified protect is the is the softer feature that they are going to that they're going to push forward to correct, quote unquote, some of these problems that existed with the current system. Our current focus for Unify Protect is to make a great user experience that has the right software and hardware configuration. This can be installed and operated with confidence. We are focusing resources on that goal and do not want to add additional variables to the challenge at this time. We will look at third-party NVR hardware support once the solution is solid. So the translation is that all of these new great features are only going to be available on their NVR platform, on their hardware platform for their cameras which sucks. The hardware doesn't suck, but it sucks as a, as a systemic, as a, as a system limitation. It sucks as an environmental limitation because not every environment works well with the Ubiquiti NVR. And the Unify forms exploded. Exploded. People went nuts. They lost their freaking mind over this because people are saying, no, Unified, that's not why we came to you. That's not why we started with you. And if you're going to go down this road today, because today it's just the it's just the security camera DVR. And truthfully, there are a couple of instances where we have built out a system, and I do find that to be a usable thing. But if I'm being honest with you, the only reason we ever did that, it's not the, the Unified NVR was cheap enough, so it was priced competitively enough. The issue was storage. And with this new Cloud Key 2, they're going to offer drive bays that you can put your own storage in. So I guess the only real reason that we ever really ventured outside of the hardware appliance world was because of storage. And they address that. But they don't address the larger concern. And the larger concern is, is their business model moving from that of supporting self-installers to a business model where all they care about is selling hardware? They are going to release a standalone self-install version of the Protect solution for the video surveillance. And um, that's only going to work on the Cloud Key 2 Plus and uh, eventually the NVR. And then they're going, to, they're going to tack on to that device, that Cloud Key 2, the Unify application server. So you're going to be able to manage all of your network devices. And um, one of the guys on the forum says, the Cloud Key 2, while a nice piece of hardware, does not include the needed function of a robust DVR install. It has a 20 camera limit max and no redundant storage. So that's something that the, the NVR has no, no hardware limitation on cameras or software limitation on cameras. It's as many as you can throw at it. So if you want to do dual bonded NICs and du dual bonded one gig NICs or 10 gig NICs, and you want to put in ZFS storage array with 35 terabytes of storage, right now you can do that. And so the concern is what's going to come next. And to all of you Unify people that are out there, because like I say, I know you're listening, to all of you guys that are out there, please consider what happened to a company called um, Crestron. 
Crestron was the go de facto go-to standard for home automation. And you know why nobody has heard of Crestron anymore or why very few people other than very large enterprises use it? It's because they departed and, and tried to alienate all of the self-installers, not just, you know, we're only going to officially support these people, but they are going to, they're going to make it insanely difficult for you to be a self-installer. And that's a mistake. So please unify, reconsider this decision. If you want to make a hardware device first, I understand that. I got that. If that's the only thing you want to officially support, cool. Let us do a self-install thing at our own risk kind of a thing with all of the new software support, please, because that's what got you to where you are. That's where you need to be. Kevin calls back. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Oops, I got to click on the button. There we go. Hey, Kevin. <laughs> hey uh, thanks for taking my, my second call. Um, yep. Yeah, that's. Uh, I didn't realize the the new uh, the Unified Protect wasn't going to be uh, available for self install. That's that's no good. Yeah, hopefully they reverse that decision. I, right now they've gotten so much backlash; it's pretty much a unilateral decision on the part of the community that I think they'll they'll have to walk that back if they plan to stay in business. They would. Yeah. Be, I mean, seriously, man, they'd be better off discontinuing the product than going down this line because people are just yeah. furious. Yeah, that's that's terrible. Hey, um, what I was going to ask. Uh, earlier was uh, I've got um, I got OBS and I've, I'm trying to get um, audio from a Yamaha mixer that supports uh, Dante and um, so I was wondering if you knew of any way to, to to do that to get a Dante signal into OBS to allow you know mixing of the audio, you know, multiple audio channels in OBS. Um, I saw somebody else doing something like that, but it, it was on Windows and uh, apparently the Dante people are not super Linux friendly, so I didn't know if you'd. Uh, anything like that yeah that's uh, that's uh, that's partly true so there i'll say this there is so just back up a little bit just to kind of explain to everybody else what we're talking about here dante is a is an aes 67 ip audio driver so it's actually the ip 60 aes 67 is what we use at the studio it's what i'm using right now um to mix all of the audio together that's what we use at our studio so uh, and we actually use little dante dongles to go from analog devices to bring audio into our system uh, as far as so that, that's why I say when they say that it's not Linux friendly, it's just that there are few companies that are developing uh, audio over IP drivers for Linux. But I can I can give you some recommendations and we can have some links in the show notes if, you, if you'd like to, to, to visit them. The easiest way, honestly, to do what you're doing, probably with without without headaches, because you really need to configure a network specifically for AOIP. You've got it. You've got to have a familiar familiarization with IGMP and you've got to have specific network switches and, and it really needs to be on its own subnet with no DHCP and all, all this kind of crazy stuff. Uh, and if you want to go that route, it's absolutely a great way to go because you keep the audio pure and digital the entire way. But a really, really right. simple, a really, really simple way to just get audio out of that mixer and into the, the computer. There's these little dongles they are available on amazon.com for like 99 bucks and it will speak Dante natively. And so it will, it will provide you with Dante discoverability. So when you go into your Yamaha mixer, that little dongle, will just show up so I'll have a link for for both of those things a company that does AES 67 IP audio and makes a driver for Linux as well as the uh, as well as the Dante dongles so that that Dante dongle then does that um, does that let me mix it somehow or would I have to mix it on the board and send a single single uh, output out to that dongle depends on how you set the machine up so the 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 Dante can send um, 
obviously depends on again how much bandwidth and kind of how you set up your network but dante yeah. works in network streams so you can send a single stereo stream um out of the machine and then that machine would then that that single stereo stream would show up as a channel on your mixer or you could send multiple stereo streams and they would show up as multiple devices to pulse audio and then you would send those multiple streams so for example i'll give you a perfect example of how we use that okay. mumble is its own audio stream as is our source connect which is the remote software that we use to connect guests and both of those things are on one machine but they're sent as two separate stereo streams so they show up on two different channels okay yeah, that, that sounds pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, if you got any links, that would be excellent. Yep, yep, we'll have we'll have those in the show notes. Uh, and thanks for thanks for calling back, Kevin, because that's uh, IP audio is just a really fantastic, uh, interesting thing. Again, one eight fifty five four fifty no eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. dot com. Simon joins us from the Lubuntu Project. Hey, Simon, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. So you, uh, I guess I'll just kind of give you free reign. You have the rest of the hour. Tell me about uh, 1810 and the release that's coming up. So I guess in general, um, I wanted to give an overview of the Ubuntu 1810 release as a whole, um, just to show yes. what the, what each of the flavors are doing. Um, awesome. Because, you know, you may be asking yourself, why is it important? Um, you know, if you're, if you're a user of Ubuntu LTS, um, and you're just getting debug fix updates and, you know, not a lot will change while the release is still installed. You know, if you're on 1804, 1604, not a lot will change, but this is really where the groundwork is laid for the next couple of releases and where things will go for the next LTS. So the, the changes that are made now, while, while there still can be some big changes from this LTS to the next one, right after the LTS is where you're going to see a lot of the major changes that are going to happen for that LTS. So, just in general, for the for the for the 1810 release, like I said, I'm I'm a little bit excited because we've had a lot of different shifts, not just within Ubuntu, but within within the Ubuntu project as a whole. So um, the Linux kernel 4.18 is part of it. So um, of course, you're going to get maintenance updates with that. Um, we've been just in general pushing a lot of things towards Git. So you know, in Launchpad, Launchpad has had support for Git for a while now. So we're moving everything towards Git. Um, you know, we're, we're going through some new development processes that will allow us to completely utilize Git and no longer have to use Bazaar for anything, which is extremely exciting because um, Bazaar is getting a little bit antiquated, and as a developer, it makes it really, really cool that, um, you know, Git is being used for a lot more these days. Um, I386... That's something that happened at the beginning of this cycle. Um, I386 or 32-bit is gone from every single flavor, including the main flavor of Ubuntu, um, except for Zubuntu and Lubuntu, which have, have chosen to keep it for now. Um, and then just in general, hardware enablement has been improved. So um, for, for just in general graphics cards, the newer AMD graphics cards, there's now support for those right in the Linux kernel. Um, so some of the flavors haven't had much of a, of a involved cycle. Some of them have just been kicking back from the LTS because the LTS is a big push. Um, it's really where you have to polish things and make it, um, you know, very, very just perfect for the, for the end user because people are going to be using this for several years to come. So um, in Ubuntu Studio, they've had a general surge of development within the team. So they've had new, just new blood um, they've had new team members, new people coming on. Um, 
And so they've, it, this cycle has been a little bit, you know, slow for them, but it's been the Ubuntu Studio controls. They've had a bit, a bit of a polish for that. It now supports more things around the Jack audio connection kits. So for anybody who, you know, is audio inclined, that's a great Ubuntu flavor to use. Um, so Ubuntu has, has had a bunch of updates as well. So it's, it's just a snapshot of the XFC 4.4 developments, well, 4.14, um, just for polish all around. Ubuntu Mate is polished as well. Um, Kubuntu, it, it has the Plasma 5.13 desktop now um, with Frameworks 5.50. So they now have Plasma browser integration. Um, there's now the Snap backend with Discover by default and just a bunch of different polish and updates with it. Um, same sort of thing with Ubuntu Budgie. So they've had the update to the desktop environment, just like Ubuntu, and Ubuntu and the, the rest of the flavors. But they've also had a bunch of different applets, which are just basically plugins that you can plug into the Budgie desktop. They're up to 27 total applets in the Budgie welcome screen, which is a lot of different things wow. you, can, um, you can use to extend your desktop. Um, they've been importing a lot of those from Python to Vala, which will give a little bit of a speed improvement, but it's just in general, they've been working really, really hard, and 27 is a lot, especially for the, the team that has been doing it. So, Yeah. Man, so, you, guys are making, you guys are making huge strides. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to sort of save this towards the end, but Lubuntu... You know, for those of the, um, for those people who know me, I'm the, the release manager of Lubuntu. Um, this release has been the most major release of Lubuntu in the history of the project, I'd say, except for way back in the beginning when we were first starting things. Pretty much everything about Lubuntu has changed from 18.04 to 18.10. So therefore, the upgrade path isn't really supported quite yet. There's a lot of rough edges, but we switched to shipping LibreOffice by default. Um, VLC is the media player. Um, Plasma Discover is a software um, manager. Um, we use the Arc System theme and the Papyrus Icon theme. Um, and in general, our development processes have really been modernized. So we've had, we have a new Fabricator instance, which is an alternative to, I, I'd say GitLab or GitHub, but we, it's, a, um, it's an, a, a development platform, I guess you'd say. Um, we've been using that a lot. And in, in general, it's been a really, really productive cycle for Lubuntu. So we've, besides the changes in applications, we've also switched from Calamar, from, from Ubiquity to Calamares, which is a new modular installer that KDE Neon is looking toward, towards using, Manjaro uses, a bunch of different distributions are looking towards using. Um, it's just a, it's a modular installer framework, which you just, you do everything in YAML, and the front end is based in Qt, but it's extremely easy for distributors to get started with it. So um, the Ubiquity code base, we were finding it a little bit hard to customize it and tweak it and do what we wanted with it. So, you know, at this point, we decided it was the best option to move to the Calamares, which gives gave us a little bit more flexibility. We've had a little bit of rough edges because, of course, it's switching the system installer, and there's some edge cases. For example, this week we just solved... Um, if you have a 64-bit system but a 32-bit EFI um, stub, I guess you call it, it's we've just now solved that path. But otherwise, in general, we're just working out the rough edges. Um, a lot of the modernization, I'd, I'd say, it has to do from the move from our main framework being GTK2 to Qt5. But in general, I just think it's it's the move to a more modern desktop that's that's being developed more often. LXC has a GTK3 port, but it's experimental at best, and there's not many eyes on it these days. 
Um, whereas LXQT is very, very active developments, a lot of different developers working on it these days, and distributions are starting to adopt it more. Um, you know, it's, it's alternative spins, of course, but it's just seeing more development and more eyes. So um, that's pretty much the changes that have been happening w within Lubuntu. Um, of course, if you have any feedback on the release, I would really like to hear it because it's such a major shift. Of course, there might be some things we haven't quite worked out yet, but that's one of the things about doing this immediately after the LTS release and why we decided to do it. Because after the LTS release, we have to, we have to ship the LTS release and we have to make it a high-quality release. We cannot break the LTS users. Um, so doing it after that allows us two years, which is the maximum amount of time we would have for this sort of thing, to polish it and make it just absolutely wonderful. So, um, you know, if, if you have any feedback, the main Lubuntu site is lubuntu.me. Um, otherwise, my email address is simon at lubuntu.me. And, you know, if you have any feedback, feel free to send it my way. Um, otherwise, just in general, this cycle has been pretty huge in terms of changes, just yeah, it sounds like it. And then from Ubuntu. Let me ask you this, yeah. Simon. Who is the ideal, like, who is the target user for Lubuntu? You know, they say, you know, traditional Ubuntu or Ubuntu proper, it's Linux for human beings. Fedora, we tend to think of system administrators that like to tinker and be on the bleeding edge. Arch users are the real tinkerers. Gen 2 are the people who want to totally own their system, you know, soup to nuts. Who is the user? Describe to me the Lubuntu user. Who is the kind of user that says, uh, this is what I want out of a computer system. Lubuntu is the operating system for me. Mm -hmm. So for Lubuntu, um, really we had a, a sort of sort of a change in focus as well. We used to be very very catered towards old hardware. Um, that shift has sort of moved towards having a modern, light, lean desktop environment that has that has enough functionality for you to be able to get your work done, but generally just stays out of your way. Um, I've heard that sort of sounds like Plasma. If you, if you do a head-to-head -head comparison of LXQt and Plasma, LXQt is much lighter and, you know, it's a little bit more flexible, more modular as well. So it's not just one shell running in one process. You have the panel and the session and everything separated out. So I guess the, the ideal user is somebody who wants a desktop that stays out of their way, a modern light desktop that just, that they can get their work done with and they can use modern applications, um, you know, based on Qt. Awesome. Awesome. If I can change the subject on you just for a quick second as we wind down the program, yeah. where can people, because you were the guy that put together the code that picked the winner, and uh, just in the interest of openness and honesty and all of that good stuff, because we do use some open source code here that we custom wrote inside of Speed Technologies, where can people go if they want to audit the code, if they think we're cheating and, and you know not really truly picking winners fairly, where can they go to audit that code? We moved that to GitLab, right? Yep. So if you go to gitlab.com slash altaspeed, um, in fact, the direct link to the code is gitlab.com slash altaspeed slash ask Noah show giveaway. Um, it's GPL3 licensed, so it's open source code. Um, feel free to send any feedback you want on GitLab, merge requests, issues, whatever you want. Um, and, you know, of course, you can find us on Telegram if, if you find anything there. And if people want professional Lubuntu support, we're now offering that as, as part of your um, job responsibilities at AltaSpeed as well, I'm, <laughs> I, I believe. Yes. Um, yes, we're, we're offering that. Um, we're still working out a little bit of the details around the rough edges of it. But in general, yes, we are going to be offering Lubuntu support, um, mainly along with the, with the release of Lubuntu. But we are going to be offering it. If you want to email AltaSpeed um, through Lubuntu, we will, we will give you support. I guess is the pitch for that. Oh, 
Outstanding. Thanks, Simon, for your time. We appreciate it. We'll get you back on the program real soon. Thanks. Simon, quickly, everybody, follow him on Twitter. We'll have a link for it in the show notes. Hey, thanks so much for hanging with us through this episode. I'm sorry that we had a couple of technical challenges, but, you know, as always, we are professionals. We will rise above. If you want to stay up to date, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Ask Noah Show. Of course, we'll be back next Tuesday. The show is live every 6 p.m. on Tuesday without fail. It's streamed with a brand new audio stream at AskNoahShow.com. We hope to see you there next week. We'll see you next week, everybody.